Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, good morning, Calvary. Hey, so glad to see you today. Grab your Bibles with me, if you would, please, and turn to Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five is where we will be today. Welcome to those of you here in Auditorium One. Maybe you're joining us in Auditorium Two or by way of the internet, television, or podcast. We are so glad that you are with us today. Also wanna take a moment and just say thanks. Uh, Many of you extended your appreciation through giving and cards and conversations last month as part of Pastor Appreciation. Just wanna say thanks so much. On behalf of our team, we do not take it for granted the, the real privilege that it is to serve in what God is doing here at Calvary and are honored to be a part of that and to serve with you. We're in a series of messages that we're calling Flip the Script. We are looking at the first part of the sermon that Jesus preached, Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. He was on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. We refer to it as the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we have been working our way through this. We, We started with the first part, which we call the Beatitudes. Those are those statements from Jesus that all begin with the word blessed or blessed. Blessed, and uh, we've been working our way through that. And then if you were with us Wednesday night, we had our first Wednesday service. And uh, the first Wednesday of each month, we come together for a time of just some worship, time in God's presence. This last Wednesday was just really, really special. And um, God kind of changed our plans kind of mid-service and really had a powerful time in God's presence. And then we took a quick look at the part in Matthew 5 that, that talks about how we are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the world. And then after Jesus says that is where we're going to move into next in Matthew chapter 5. And what's interesting is through this whole sermon that Jesus is teaching, he really has one thought in mind, and, and, and it's this. Jesus is teaching his followers that life in the kingdom of God is different than life in the world's kingdom. This is the whole idea. This is why we call it flip the script, that the way that, that we think life should be, Jesus is saying, look, things, things are different than that. There's a different way that we live when you live life in my kingdom. And so he's telling his followers that life in the kingdom of God is different than life in the world's kingdom. And this is what we're gonna see. He says, look, if you wanna live a life that's filled with joy and that's filled with peace and that is effective and that makes a difference for eternity and one where you find fulfillment, it's going to be different than the way that the world's kingdom says to live. And so then for the rest of chapter five, Jesus is gonna get incredibly practical. I think you'll find before we're done today, he gets a little personal Every good sermon should meddle a little bit, shouldn't it? That that wasn't all of the encouragement that I wanted, but thanks, friend, there on the second row. (laughs) So Jesus is gonna meddle a little bit. He's gonna get in your business. He's gonna get in my business. But before he does, he has to set the stage. And we're gonna take the next three weeks to look at the, the way he gets real practical with us. But before he does... He's got to kind of clear the way for us to understand this. Matthew chapter five, verse 17. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, he says, I say to you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So Jesus set in the stage here, and this is what he's saying that God's word is true and relevant today. 
He, he was saying that 2,000 years ago, and that's still very true today, that God's word, the scriptures that we look at, are true and they're relevant for the way we live our lives today. Because what he's doing is he's flipping the script, right? He's saying, you're gonna live a different way in my kingdom, but that doesn't change how true God's word is. That doesn't change what we read in scripture. What he's saying is we're gonna take those things and we're gonna show you even more how they apply to our lives. There's a, if you grew up reading the Old Testament, or excuse me, the King James Version, the King James Version speaks of that portion of scripture and it says, not a jot or tittle will be changed. Has anybody ever read that or heard that before? Well, the jot is the smallest letter, the, the littlest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. A tittle is this little part on several of the letters that almost seems imperceivable until you know how to look for it that designates one letter from another. And Jesus says, look, every detail, even the smallest thing, was directed by God, so much so that until the end of time, his word's not gonna pass away, and his scripture is true and relevant today, and what it teaches us is that all of God's word is fulfilled in Jesus. So when you read the Old Testament, the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. If you and I could reformat our hard drives and read the Old Testament like we'd never read it before, like it was all brand new to us, we would read it and what we would see as we read from Genesis through the end of the prophets is there's this common thread that says someone is coming. Someone is coming. Man lost relationship with God and God is gonna go to great lengths to restore it and he's gonna do it through someone who's coming. Well, that someone is Jesus. So everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. Everything in the New Testament is about Jesus. Honestly, everything in our lives finds fulfillment through Jesus, does it not? So this is what he's saying to them. And then once he sets that stage, then he says this. Matthew chapter five, verse 19. He says, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands, Old Testament, scripture, the things that we read in God's word, anyone who sets aside the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. If you've read the New Testament, you know Jesus picks on the Pharisees quite a bit, doesn't he? <laughs> Why does he do that? Well, the Pharisees, actually, Jesus and the Pharisees theologically would have believed a lot of the same things it's just the Pharisees took it to an extreme. They said, look, we're gonna keep God's laws and his commands, so to do that, we're, we're gonna, the, the phrase they used was we're gonna build a hedge around, we're gonna put a fence around the scriptures so we not only have God's laws, but then we have all these man-made rules and regulations. We have the, the law of Moses, but then we have all this extra stuff that we're gonna do too because we wanna make sure that we build a fence around God's law so that we never break God's law so you have God's law, but then the Pharisees put a bunch of man-made restrictions on people to the point that it became very separate and it became very legalistic. It became more about tradition than it did about scripture. And they were far more worried about the outside than the inside. Does that make sense? Like some of you maybe even in your experience in church or with religion have felt like it was more legalistic than it was relationship. That it was more about how you looked than what was really going on in your life. And what Jesus points out is he says, hey Pharisees, you're so concerned about keeping the rules when on the inside you're a mess. You're, you're impure, you're, you're wrong on the inside, but you want everybody to think that you're right. 
on the outside. And here's what I want you to see. This is what's gonna drive us for the next few weeks. What we see here is that life in God's kingdom is lived from the inside out. We often want people to look on the outside and think we've got it all together, but the reality is life in God's kingdom is lived from the inside out. It's what's going on inside of us that God is concerned about, not just what's happening on the outside. And this is it, Jesus flips the script to focus on the inside and not on the outside. That's what we're gonna see over and over again over the course of these next few weeks, that he's gonna cause us to focus on the inside and that on the outside, and here's why. Because, and this is what he's saying about the Pharisees, you can be right on the outside and still be wrong on the inside. True? You can make everybody think that everything's right. You can do your best to try to live according to the rules. You can put out a certain front and you can try to appear right on the inside and everything is still messed up and clogged up on the inside. The other day I got home and the vacuum cleaner was sitting out and Rhonda said, hey, will you, will you take a look at the vacuum cleaner? It doesn't seem to be working right. And she asked me if I could fix it. And so I looked at her and I said, I got you, baby. I'm your man. I can fix this. So after dinner, I kind of showed that vacuum cleaner who was boss and took it in the other room. I thought, well, let's figure out what's wrong here. So plugged it in, turned it on, and it started, you know, doing its thing and the spinny brush on the bottom, I, I hate to use technical terms, but you know what I mean, right? The, the spinny brush on the bottom, it's doing its thing, and it's got a hose that's connected to, the technical term is sucky part. Do you, you, you know, you know, so hose is connected to the sucky part, so I do that, and it's, you know, you do that, and you, you know, it's like, okay, well, it's got suction. She says, yeah, but it's not right. And I was like, oh yeah, because we haven't had the vacuum, I mean, I don't even think we've had it a year, and it's, it's got a lot of to it, you know, and it's just a right now, and so I'm like, okay, well, this isn't right. So I start looking at it, and the more, you know, and you're holding up the tube and trying to get it in the light and all this stuff. And what I found out was, long story short, at some point along the way, as we had been vacuuming, we, we picked up this little piece of wood that got picked up, and on its way through, it got lodged about halfway through the tube, halfway through the tube where it's impossible to reach it. Right, so we got a broom handle trying to do surgery, you know. I got, I got, I got two skewers where I'm trying to like chopstick this thing, you know, the whole bit. It was, it was quite the sight, but here's what we found. That little piece of wood got stuck about halfway through. And then the next time we vacuumed, all, all the nasty that we were vacuuming, some of the stuff got stuck to the wood. And then the next time we vacuumed, some of the stuff that came up got stuck to the stuff that got stuck to the wood. And then the next, you're with me, right? The next time we vacuumed, some of the stuff got stuck to the stuff that got stuck to the stuff that got stuck to the, and eventually what we pulled out of there was actually impressive, was it not? I mean, nasty. But here's what happened. We didn't know it. You'd look at the vacuum and you'd be like, well, that's great. That thing's working, sounds good, everything's right. But every time we vacuumed, because there was stuff clogged up on the inside, it was ruining its effectiveness and our house was not as clean as it should be because what looked good on the outside was actually a clogged up mess on the inside. And Jesus says, we spend so much time worrying about what's happening on the outside when you've still got a clogged up mess on the inside. And he says, what we're gonna do is focus not just on what we can see, but we've gotta focus on what's going on inside. It's the heart he's worried about, not the outside. We tend to focus on the symptoms. But Jesus wants to get to the disease. And then he gets real practical. 
And he's gonna give us, over the course of these next couple of weeks, six examples of how oftentimes we focus on the outside and we need to look at the inside. Oftentimes we focus on the letter of the law, but what we need to get to is the spirit. How we need to take a look at what's really going on inside of us. He is gonna get really, really practical. He's gonna get personal. And here's where we're gonna start today. We're gonna begin with this. Just, just one of the six we're gonna look at today. And it's this. Today we're gonna look at Jesus' guide to anger management. Matthew chapter five, Jesus' guide to anger management Raise your hand if you know someone who needs to hear this message. <laughs> yeah, I hope, I hope some of you know that it's probably you. Okay, so he's, he's gonna deal today with our attitudes, with our actions. Let's just jump right in. Matthew chapter five, verse 21. And each one of these six examples, he's gonna start with the same kind of formula. He's gonna use all six times. He's gonna say, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago. He's gonna say it like this. He says, so, now th let me reach to the past. So he says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, <clears throat> and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. And the people that are sitting there on the shores of the Sea of Galilee and are hearing Jesus preach that are going, yes, you're right, Jesus, that's right. We do not commit murder. That's one of the, that's the sixth commandment. You guys know the 10 commandments? You've heard of them? Saw the movie, right? This is the sixth one. And they're like, yes, we agree. They're all for it. And it's a good thing. Like, even though that's an Old Testament scripture, you know that today you should not murder, Right? Are we gonna have to go over that again? <laughs> All right, good. Do not murder. Everybody's going, yes, but what is Jesus doing here? He's flipping the script. He's gonna change the way we see things. He's not just dealing with the outside, he's dealing with the inside. And he wants you to know murder is the symptom. He's gonna deal with the disease. So he says, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to the judgment. While they're cheering, he says this in verse 22, but... I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. I told you he was gonna meddle. <laughs> and he gets right to this. And we're gonna look at three things that we pick up from this passage. We're gonna call them Jesus' guide to anger management. Here's the first step. Number one, you have to understand anger. You have to really get an understanding of what Jesus is talking about here and why this is so important. And why of all the places that he could start of the six, he starts here with this one. He's gonna take it beyond just the act of murder, which can be on the outside, and go to the very root of where those kind of things come from and deal with the inside, not just murder, but what happens on the inside, not just the symptoms of hatred, but he wants to deal with the disease. So he's not just gonna talk about our actions here. He's talking about our words. He's talking about our thoughts. He's talking about anger. And now I think if you look at scripture, there are times when there is such a thing as righteous anger. True? Have you seen this in scripture? Like scripture talks about the wrath of God. So sometimes when God sees injustice, when God sees things that are damaging his creation and his people, there's an anger that comes out in him. We see it especially in the Old Testament. We see it all throughout scripture. So there is such a thing as righteous anger. Jesus exhibits it in the temple, if you know that story, where he overturns the tables of the money changers. In the gospels, we read about this. When there is injustice in the world, it is appropriate for us to have anger. That's a natural response. In fact, anger is an emotion that is a natural emotion. 
There are times when we will see things that for whatever reason will stir up in us angry. Anybody ever been angry? (laughs) Right, it's a natural emotion that we have. The question comes down to how do you handle it when it comes your way? How do you deal with it when anger is in your face? And what Jesus is talking about here is unrighteous anger, pride, vanity, hatred, malice, revenge, when we let anger begin to take a foothold in our lives. And I don't know that I can say this every single week, but I really feel like this sermon is something that speaks to every single one of us today, right where we are. Because there's a good chance that either in the last seven days or the next seven days, there's gonna be things we talk about here about anger that actually become really practical in our lives. But like, is it a person? Is it a certain behavior? Is it when things don't go your way that it just makes you angry? Think about that for a moment. When was the last time that you could say you were truly angry? Can you, can you think about it? Like when you get, you ever have those moments, have you ever heard that phrase, seeing red? Anybody ever seen red? <laughs> like where you get so mad and blood in your head and all that, you know what I'm talking about? Where that comes inside of you and you have that response. I mean, yes, there is righteous anger and yes, it is a natural human emotion, but you have to choose, do I handle it in the right way or do I handle it in a way that is unhealthy, maybe in a way that you could just say is, is wrong in a way the scripture would say is sin? So you think about that for for a moment, maybe, maybe rewind the tape a minute. But when was the last time that you were truly angry? We'll have everybody share, we'll start over here. How, no, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, just kidding. But it's real, isn't it? And then Jesus not only talks about our emotions in that moment, then he's gonna take it to the next step. Because what's usually, typically, the first thing that happens with our anger, our anger starts here and here and then comes out of here, doesn't it? And it's our words and it's our mouth. So he says, look, not only am I talking about when I'm, when I'm seeing you and you're angry, he says, but what about those who say raka? Well, that word raka was an insult. It kind of meant empty-headed. You ever met anybody like that? <laughs> like you're, you're challenging kind of their mentality there, their, their mind, their head. When you just say, ah, raka, you're, you're empty-headed. And then, because anger seems to progress, Jesus progresses from, hey, you're, you're angry, and then it pulls itself out by you saying raka, and then it makes itself known because the other things when you say, ah, you fool. That word, you fool, has the same kind of linguistic root as the word moron. Have you ever, you ever used that one? <laughs> right? And it's not just what's in your head, not just empty-headed. When you call someone a fool, and you see this throughout scripture, now you're dealing with their heart. You're, you're dealing with their character. You're actually dealing with their value as a person. There's something that happens when you call someone a name. Like your name is a powerful thing. I learned this when I was a kid's pastor because if I'm in, if I'm in kid's church and I'm leading and I've got a, a little boy that's causing trouble, it's one thing for me to go, hey, you, 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 right there, just, just sit down, sit down, stop it, stop it. And, and oftentimes they just ignore you. But if I can look at him and go, Travis, you, you saw it coming, didn't you? Yeah. There's power in a name. Because when you use a name and you speak affirmation with that name, it's powerful. When you use a name and you speak unkind mean words with the name, it's powerful. 
But when you take a name away and strip the value of that name and in its place put an insult instead, you've done damage in so many ways to that person. Here's why, and this is what Jesus wants to to see. This is why he categorizes anger with murder because anger takes life from another person. When you are angry, you take life from another person, especially in the words that we say. The German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, the angry word is a blow struck at our brother, a stab at his heart. It seeks to hit, to hurt, and to destroy. We, a deliberate insult is worse, for we openly disgrace our brother in the eyes of the world, causing others to despise him. So when you insult someone, when you call them empty-headed, or you insult their character and call them a fool, you've literally taken some life away from them. So when am I prone for that to happen? When are the times when those words seem to just kind of roll off my tongue? And I just asked that kind of hypothetically in the last service, and the lady right here goes, in traffic. (laughs) So so confession was really good for her soul in that moment. (laughs) And we all agreed, right? When are you prone to do that? Driving, anybody else? Watching TV, I'm so thankful that we have the example of politics we can pull on right now. Isn't that helpful? (laughs) Right, because we have a tendency to say those things. And oftentimes we say them in our car, watching TV. We might say things like, look at that moron pulling in front of me. Did that moron, I mean, did that person hear you? No, they didn't, they didn't hear you. Does the person on TV know the the words of life you just spoke out of them? (laughs) Do they know? No, they don't. And so we have a tendency to say, ah, it doesn't matter. Ah, it's innocent. Ah, it's neutral because they can't hear it. But can I tell you, when you use those words, I don't think it's ever neutral because you know who heard those words? You did. And when you spoke those words, it created a new baseline in your life. And for many of us, it lowers the standard that God has for us. And what happens is when I start using those words in private, when I start using them in my car, when I start using them just with my family, when I'm describing a person on TV or a politician or an athlete or whatever it might be when those words come out of my mouth, when I start using them even in the the solitude of my own home, I have lowered my standard to that place that the next time anger comes in, it's that much easier for me to say them to a person, let alone the fact that we rarely say them in isolation, but our kids hear it and our family hears it, and our grandchildren hear it, and those who our testimony is supposed to affect hears it, and when we speak those words, we're literally taking life from another person. Does that make sense? They're never neutral. They're they're never just spoken into a vacuum. Here's what the Apostle John said. 1 John 3, verse 15. He says, anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. Do you think he heard the Sermon on the Mount? (laughs) He heard this from Jesus, and he says, and and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in them. Because when we speak that way, when we think that way, when we have anger in that way, our thoughts and our looks and our words all indicate, I wish they were dead. You'd say, well, I'd, I'd never say that. No, But there's moments in our hearts when we would put that on someone else who we wish wasn't there or that we held no value for 
or that we expressed in that way. And look, we all have those scenarios, don't we? Where we're prone to overreact or give in to jealousy, where we feel like we've been done wrong or misunderstood or falsely accused. We go somewhere and the level of service or respect doesn't match up to what we think it should be. And our natural response then is anger. James says in James chapter one, verse 19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why? I mean, that's good advice, but why? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Take righteous anger out of the mix. Where does anger usually come from? It usually comes from pride, doesn't it? Because I'm so focused on me that I miss what else God wants to do. I mean, here's actually the real danger of anger because when I get angry, what I'm really saying is, God, I just don't trust you to deal with this. So God, I'm gonna take this situation and in my anger, I'm gonna fix it because I really don't think that you can. So I'm gonna handle it. And that anger does not work what God wants to do in our lives. And don't miss this. When you're angry, it not only takes life from another person, but anger steals life from you. When was the last time you were truly angry and you said words and you responded in a way and afterwards you said, man, I hope that happens again tomorrow. Anybody else? No, usually you're like, why did I do that? I can't believe I responded like that. How am I ever gonna fix? Or those regrets come to our minds. Anger steals life from you. And Jesus talks about it. He says, look, there is judgment before God. He even uses the term the fires of hell to talk about the ramifications of anger in our lives. Why stress this? Because I oftentimes think we don't understand the consequences and the damage and the danger of anger because we just think, well, it's a part of the world and oftentimes it's encouraged and you gotta fight for yourself and you gotta stand up and you gotta respond. And Jesus says, look, when you are quick-tempered, you're gonna lose out on what he's trying to do. It steals life from other people and it just, it sucks the life out of you when you respond in that way. I'd encourage you, uh, some of you, it'd be really good, and this is the beauty of the internet, just, just search for Bible verses about anger and read and see the consequences that scripture talks about when we allow anger to, to take root and be at work in our lives. I've used this analogy several times lately, I think because in the last couple of years, um, just family members that have moved or we, we moved or helping friends move or whatever it might be, there were a couple times during this process <clears throat> where you're trying to move something and you got that king size mattress and you're trying to take it upstairs and you reach a certain point where you say to yourself, we're just getting this thing up there. Anybody? And you're just, we just need push, push, you know, and you're get it up there. Or you're trying to get the couch in the house and you're like, it'll fit, you know, and you're just doing that. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And then afterwards you go, well, that couch will never be the same. I'm not gonna lie, I was at a friend's house after we moved a mattress and I was like, somebody's gonna fix that ceiling. That scrape goes from there to there. Why? Because in that moment of, ooh, you failed to realize the damage you were actually doing. And it wasn't until later that you looked back and went, oh man, Th that, that force did more damage than I know. The, I came across a little quote in the process of studying for today, and I liked it. It said, anger is only one letter short of danger. Write that out in the blackboard on your mind real quick. Do you see it? Anger added, oh. Anger is only one letter short of danger, which is why Jesus says, 
You better understand how this works. And then he says this, Matthew chapter five, verse 23, he then says this, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, or you could even say, when you go to church and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, let's stop Jesus' mid-sentence here because I don't like what he's doing. Because in this process, I would love for him to talk about anger, and I'd love for him to say, now here's how you handle it when someone does you wrong. Wouldn't we like that? <laughs> it's not what he does, though. Instead, he says, okay, we've talked about anger, we've talked about how dangerous it is. Now, here's what I want you to see. If you get to a point and you realize that someone has something against you, the second step that Jesus gives us in anger management is this. Number two, take a look at yourself. If we're gonna talk about this subject of anger, number two, he says, you need to take a look at yourself. And, and I, I like to take a look at what's wrong with anybody else. Can I get an amen? And Jesus says, no, here's, here, I want you to take a look at yourself, not them. Look at you and ask yourself the question, what could someone have against you? Where does anger play a part in your life? So let's do that for a minute. Let, let me give you a, a few thoughts maybe to consider. We'll, we'll call them some some questions for examining our anger. We'll just, we'll just take a minute and, and look at this. This will help us. Here, here's the first one to consider. When am I prone to anger? Like, look and consider your own life, and when is it that you might be prone to anger in your life? Science has shown us that, that typically, if, if we're about to hit a point of some very real anger, before we get to that response, our body will actually start to respond in some way. You kind of start breathing faster, you might start to blush or sweat or tense up your jaws or your hands. I know this because I can see some of you doing it right now, right? It means you better pay close attention because your volcano might be pretty close to, to erupting. So what do you do in those moments? Well, remind yourself of this, that peak rage, like, like your, your, your most anger usually only lasts for five or 10 minutes, and, and just consider that the most angry you're gonna be, the times when you will really regret what you're gonna do or say, that period of time usually only lasts for about five or 10 minutes. So if you feel that, you sense that, you know that might be coming on, there's all kinds of tips and tricks and things that you can do. Can I tell you what the best thing is? Is to say, Holy Spirit, will you help me? Because <laughs> I, can, I can feel inside of me that I'm about to do or say something that I will probably regret. And it's a good moment to just go, okay, Holy Spirit, will, will you help me right now? And then it's really good in those moments to give your brain something else to think about. Like, like find some other way. And again, psychology will give you all kinds of tips and tricks. Do you wanna know what, what I think is the best? What if you had a scripture you could go to? What if you've looked and said and you see the consequences of anger or how God blesses those who, who don't get angry or how those things, and your mind can come back to that. And I know that this is easier said than done. Because usually in traffic, it's not, oh my, that person cut in front of me. I shall now think about how angry I won't be. <laughs> it's not how it goes. Because in that moment, I'm just thinking of what name I should call them. Anybody else? Right? So this is work you got to do in advance. Like if you know that you might be prone to those moments, to say even in advance, God, will you help me? And even in advance to have, have written some scriptures down on a note card or you memorized them or you got them somewhere that you know you can come back to that before you step into that meeting where you might say what you don't wanna say, you go back to that passage in Proverbs that helps to bring you some balance. Give, give your, your mind that. And then I'll tell you one of the very best things that's an antidote to anger is gratitude. This is great for a Thanksgiving month, isn't it? That instead of thinking of everything that's wrong, what if I can take a moment and think of what's right? When I wanna brood, 
and just kind of sit in that anger, isn't that fun to do sometimes? But it's so destructive. If instead, if I can begin to say, God, will you help me to see what is right and give thanks for what you've done? And, and you have to start to know the factors in your life, right? How do, you, how do you respond to stress? How do you respond when you haven't had enough sleep? Or has anybody heard the, the biblical Greek term hangry? Anybody ever heard that term? Right, know those things about yourself. And sometimes you've just gotta avoid certain situations. I, I know you can't always do it, but there's times where you need to go, I don't need to watch that. I don't need to listen to that. I don't need to go to that thing. I, I need to be wise when I'm around that person or sometimes even say, what, what do I do to not, not be in the presence of that person? Not in an unkind way, but in a way to say, hey, right now, this just, this just isn't wise. You have to know what pushes your buttons and then say, God, help me not to have my buttons pushed. Which leads us then to the next question. If you've asked yourself, when am I prone to anger? It's also good to ask, who has something against me? Because Jesus talks about anger and then he goes right to our relationships. And maybe to consider who, who has something against me? Well, you know what I'd rather talk about, Jesus? I'd rather talk about who I have something against. I'd rather talk about where I've been done wrong. And don't worry, he's getting there. Like as we keep going through the Sermon on the Mount, we're actually gonna spend a lot of time on the subject of forgiveness. Because he goes there over and over again and talks to us about how we, we extend forgiveness and receive forgiveness and what that looks like. So don't think he's not gonna talk about what someone has done to you, but he says, hey, look, in my kingdom, if we're gonna flip the script, you know where it starts? It starts with this. We've gotta talk about those that might have something against you, not who you have something against. So let's take a look on the inside. And here's the reality. In the life that we live, we're gonna bump into each other. You ever been anywhere that's just kind of busy and packed with a lot of people? You go to an airport, you go to a concert, you go to a sporting event, you, you, you go Christmas shopping, you, you leave the 10 o'clock service at Calvary Church. Do you know what I'm talking about? And in the process of that, you're just prone to bump into people. I think I, I do it almost every Sunday. There's a number of you that, that there's been miraculous God protection of your coffee when I bump into you in the atrium. But what would happen if we spilled it? Well, you bump into somebody and they spill their coffee, your response is gonna be, oh man, I'm sorry, can I get you another one? Can I help you clean that up? Because when we bump into each other, our natural response is, hey, how do I help you make that right? And we do that in life, but we often don't do it in relationships, and we especially don't do it when we think we've done somebody wrong. We don't necessarily like to deal with that in those moments. Because there's times when you bump into me on the wrong day. Anybody else? <laughs> And words come out that you haven't had a chance to edit yet, or you react to a situation where you don't have all the details, or your pride or selfishness keeps you from feeling like you've been treated fairly. Now look, there will always be people who will always be offended, that no matter what you do, they're gonna think you've done something against them. You ever met anybody like that, that run that way? My parents used to keep a sign in the basement that said, it would be nice if everybody liked me but it's not necessary. There's a lot of wisdom in that because there will always be people who will be offended by everything. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about those moments where there's something legit where you know that my actions, my words offended that person. And maybe right now is a good time to say, Holy Spirit, is there someone that has something against me? Holy Spirit, can you, can you bring to mind if there's a place where something 
needs repaired in my life or in my relationships. Here's the bottom line. We'll talk about forgiveness later. I'm not talking about when you've been done wrong. We'll get there. But are there those moments where you've done someone wrong? And if that's the case, last question to consider here is, is this. What's keeping you from making things right? If you know that someone has something against you, what's keeping you from making things right? Is it fear? Is it pride? Is it your reputation? Is it shame? Is it failing to see the part you played in the conflict? Is it you think if you reach out that that, that won't be reciprocated and instead you'll, you'll be offended me more? There's these times when, when even we can be in a place where we resent the, the other person, where we belittle the other person, and maybe we know we've done them wrong, but we actually don't think they're worthy of an apology. You see that in the workplace sometimes? where the boss says, I know I lost my temper, but there's no way I'm gonna apologize to a subordinate. You see it in the home a lot, where a parent says, I know that wasn't the right response, but I can't stay in charge and show any vulnerability to my children. And so we hold on to those things, and as a result, that, that anger, those responses, are literally stealing life from everybody who's involved. There was a couple in Italy who would travel all around and they were constantly posting pictures on Instagram and chronicling all their travels. Within the last couple of months, they went up to this peak as they were hiking. They're about 60, 650 feet kind of up and there's ledge and all this and they took this, this fun little selfie and in the process, one of them dropped their phone and so the guy said, I'll get it. And when he did, he lost his footing and fell 650 feet to his death. Because a focus on self kept him from thinking realistically about how close to the edge of danger they had come. And so many times we, we hang on to wanting to be right and wanting to protect our reputation and not wanting to have an awkward conversation that we fail to make things right. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. We, gotta, we gotta deal with this. Matthew chapter five, remember we stopped Jesus mid-sentence? Let's go back and hear what he was saying. Matthew chapter five, verse 23. He says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle, so so let's, let's stop there. It's like he's saying, look, you go to church, you're in the middle of a song and you realize, oh man, I, I, I need to make that right with that other person. He says, stop right there. Even before you hear the end of that song, you need to go to great lengths to make that right. And so that's him talking about a brother or sister in church. Then he says, settle matters quickly with your adversary. He just went from brother or sister to enemy who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not not get out until you have paid the last penny. Here's, here's the third thing in Jesus' Guide to Anger Management. Number three, if something is wrong, make it right. If something's wrong in a relationship, make it right. Remember the beatitude he gave us, blessed are the peacemakers? And he didn't say it would always go well because the next one was blessed are the persecuted. Remember that? But he says you're blessed when you make things and one from just practical life, one with a brother or sister, the other with an enemy. And he says the same principle, if something is wrong, you make it right. Why? Because he stresses that right worship begins with right relationships. 
Right worship in our lives begins with right relationships. Jesus is gonna show us this. He wants us to know if something is wrong, you need to make it right. And oftentimes we think, well, I'll just make things right with God even if it's still wrong over there. And God says, look, here's what you need to know. If your relationships aren't right with your brother and sister, then you can't fully be right with me. And many of us need to realize that in our lives, in our relationships, they have a direct relationship, a direct effect on our relationship with God. And, and here's the hard truth, and that some of us have to come to terms with, you will be limited in the ways that you experience God's presence, his blessing, and his favor if you have issues in relationships with his children that you are not willing to address because until you address them, you can't fully experience his blessing because right worship begins with right relationships. We think God just wants our ministry or our worship or our sacrifice. And he says, look, time out. Don't take another step on trying to live to impress me until you've made things right with your brother or sister. I mean, it's just a common response of a father, isn't it? Rhonda and I have three children, and as you probably assumed, things were always perfect in the Gilligan house, except for days that ended in Y. Those were the days we had issues, right? Because just like anybody else, kids bump into each other. And there would be times where one of the children um, was, was less filled with the spirit, and in that moment would do unkind things to another one of the children. And you, you could watch it, you could see it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And in those moments, at some point, then that child would come to me and would want something from me. And my response as a father was, you're not getting anything from me until you make things right with your brother or sister. Well, like you, you gotta make things right. Don't expect that you're just gonna see dad give you everything you want if you've still got issues with a member in the family. Does that make sense? At some point, we gotta make things right before they're in that place. And your heavenly father says, some of you want blessing and favor. You want these things from me. But right worship begins with right relationships. So here's the thing, and I know this is tough, but for some of you, the spirit is speaking to you about some of those things right now that honestly, even before you hear special favor and wonderful peace, you need to text somebody and say, hey, you got time for coffee this week? Do you, do you think we could have a conversation? They might be shocked to see that. But Jesus said that before you even try to offer your sacrifice, you need to stop and say, are things right with me and those that I've offended in my anger? And here's why, because delayed reconciliation has costly consequences. This is the whole other story that Jesus tells when he tells this story about if, if, if your enemy is taking you to court, he says, make it right as soon as you can because the longer you wait, the more it's gonna cost you. And delayed reconciliation has costly consequences. It costs you in time, it costs you in efforts, it costs you in energy, it costs you in relationships. And this is what we've seen. We've seen that anger, if we don't deal with it, will affect our relationship with God. We've seen that anger, if we don't deal with it, will affect our relationships with others. Look, look, I know people that will not have peace at their Thanksgiving table this year because of something that happened over a five to 10 minute time frame. And some folks that won't even be together because of anger. And anger will eliminate possibilities. 
I can tell you about people that I have known both in ministry and just, just friends in life who had opportunities in front of them, doors that God was opening, but because they responded in anger and then never made it right, those possibilities and opportunities, those doors closed for them because they failed to make something right and just held on to their anger. Just think about it. Do you remember what kept Moses out of the promised land? It's because he responded in anger. Like when we look at this, what Jesus is saying to us is that you need to act while mercy is possible. It will require humility. It will require awkward conversations. It's gonna require steps. And we've just gotta to come to terms that oftentimes it's, it's just not worth being angry. It's just not worth what it can do. And here's, here's what I can guarantee you. I can't do this every Sunday, but I can guarantee you that sometime before the next time that you and I are back together in this way, whether it's in person or online, sometime before the next time that we come together, you're gonna have the opportunity to live this sermon out, aren't you? <laughs> Someone or something is gonna push your buttons or get on your nerves, and you're gonna have to choose how you're gonna respond in that time. So let me, let me give you one last, before we, we pray and wrap up, let me give you one last scripture. This isn't from Jesus, this, this one's from Paul. Ephesians chapter four, Verse 26, he says, in your anger, do not sin. You know why I like that? Because he says there will be times when you'll get angry. It's a natural emotion. And when it comes, be careful that you do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. That one's, that, that one's really telling. Your anger literally gives the devil a foothold in your life. And so Jesus says, let's not just talk about the symptoms, let's talk about the disease. You and I need to take a look on the inside, not just the outside. And if we need to deal with anger, let's deal with it. And if we need to make things right, let's make things right. Because that's how you live a blessed life in God's kingdom. Several weeks ago, on September 11th, the Miami Dolphins played the New England Patriots in Miami. And just like any major sporting event, there was all kinds of parties that happened beforehand and you had tailgating happening all over in the parking lot. And uh, so the tailgates kind of wrap up and people move in for the game. And at some point during the game, you know, the commentators mentioned it, people mentioned it in the stadium, they could see it from one of the parking lots. There was this thick, dark, black, just clouds of smoke that was coming up in the air. So what they found out was this, that one of the tailgaters had taken their grill that was still burning and at some point failed to stop it from burning and instead slid it under their car. Yeah. And that flame that was there eventually caused that car to catch in fire and 12 other cars around it. It was quite the sight. Can you imagine, especially if your team had lost walking out to the parking lot <laughs> to find your car just, it's a bad day, right? It's a bad day. Kind of a crazy story until you stop and think about the fact that some of us have a flame of anger that's been burning inside of us for a long time. And we try to just tuck it underneath, we try to ignore it. And Jesus says you can't ignore it because at some point it's gonna be a fire that's not only gonna take life from you, it's gonna take life from the people around you. So don't ignore it, don't just push it away. But instead, Jesus says, make things right with me, make things right with others, and find the life in the kingdom that only I can bring. So can I ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment, and, and thanks. 
for your patience and thanks for your graciousness and thanks for letting God's word meddle with us today. And some of us before this service wraps up in, in this room or watching on a screen somewhere, listening to this, God's speaking to your heart and you hear the spirit saying, there's, there's anger that, that you and I need to get a hold of. Your responses, your words that are not bringing life, but instead they're, they're, they're taking that life away. And you need to say right now, Holy Spirit, will you help me? And some of you, the Spirit's speaking to you even more and, and saying in this moment, there are people in your world, in your family, in your life who you cannot delay, but you need to make things right and, and send that text or have that awkward conversation or find that way to make things right, not just between you and God, but between you and them. And it might even be that you're listening to this message and you're, you're watching this or you're sitting here in the building right now and the Holy Spirit's speaking to you and you, you don't just need help with anger. In fact, anger's been something that's, that's, that's driven your life. You, you, you need so much more. You need hope and you need peace and you need forgiveness. And in this moment, you would say, Chad, I, I don't just need help with anger to make things right. I need things to be right between me and God. There's no better time than right now to ask him for his forgiveness, for, for a fresh start in your life, and to say, Jesus, I can't do this on my own, so I surrender my life to you. No better time than right now. You don't need to wait for a pastor. You don't need to wait for a prayer. Right now, you can just say, Jesus, I give you my life. And so, Lord, today we thank you for your word. And Lord, today we're not raising hands or standing up or walking to the front. Holy Spirit, instead, we're asking you to take a deep look at our hearts. Lord, and some of us know our words and we know our attitudes and we know our thoughts and we're saying, God, would you help me? Because I wanna give life, not take it away. And Lord, some of us are thinking of conversations that need to be had reconciliation that needs to be sought. And so, Lord, would you bring us courage? Would you make us unsettled until we take steps towards peace? And would you bring miraculous reconciliation in those places? And Lord, some of us today just simply need to say, Jesus, we need you. We, we can't do this on our own anymore. So we surrender our lives and our trust and our hope to you. God, thanks for your presence here today. Thanks for your word that speaks to us. Thanks for um, the, the way that you interact in each one of our lives and in our hearts. Lord, may your word sink deep so that we can live in a way where you can bring blessing and favor and, and your presence to our lives in your kingdom. So now, Lord, as we go from here, will you go with us? Would you send us out with your special favor? and with your wonderful peace. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, God bless you. Thanks for being here. If you would like someone to pray with you, or if you made a decision to follow Jesus, I would encourage you. We've got friends down here at the front who would love the opportunity to pray with you today. Make sure you grab a Christmas in the 419 catalog as you go. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.